0: In this place today where we are if you were still in the grave. We would have no hope. We would have no forgiveness. We would have no peace. We would have no purpose. And this would be an empty gathering. But I'm so grateful, Jesus, that it's not. And I'm grateful that you conquered sin, that you conquered death itself, and that you conquered Satan, Satan and his demons, and that you rose victoriously from the dead to offer us your Holy Spirit to offer us forgiveness of sins, to offer us rebirth and renewal, to become new people, to have resurrection life, to share the very life that you have upon your resurrection. We're so grateful for that this morning. Spirit, we ask that you would be among us, that you would help me to speak words that are accurate and true and powerful, that you would speak directly to our hearts, uh, that we would have soft uh, hearts, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, and that we would not just uh, check out, but that you would cause us to be attentive to your word, because you have a word uh, for us today. Holy Spirit, you want to speak truth to us today about what it means to follow and to live for the resurrected Christ. And so help us, help me, Spirit, be among us, be honored and praised by us, and we ask it in the great name of our risen God of our risen King, of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, It wasn't too many years ago, uh, probably about... 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago, that I sat um, in a pew just like you do and are, and uh, I sat listening to someone that you may or may not want to listen to that morning. Uh, The morning that I sat in the pew, I wasn't particularly interested in hearing uh, the pastor at that time. Uh, I stood, or excuse me, I sat uh, in the pew and my eyes were kind of staring at the Bible in front of me. My eyes were glazing over a bit, my mind was tending to wander as the pastor waxed eloquent, and I was in a sort of a a dazed stupor, if you will. But all of a sudden, uh, words rang forth from the pulpit like, like a trumpet blast that resonated straight into my heart. And it awoke me from my stupor. And the words that did this that Easter morning so many years ago in my life were these words spoken uh, from my pastor. He said this. He said, religion is what we can do for God. Religion is what we can do for God. Resurrection is what God has done for us. And in that moment, my eyes and my ears became attentive and I had to ask myself a very probing and unnerving and yet necessary question. Was I into religion or was I into a relationship with God through faith in the risen Christ? Was my life what I could be doing for God or was I accepting and believing in what God had already done for me? You know, a few weeks later, uh, I think it was maybe two or three weeks later, I found myself in another awkward position. I found myself at bedtime kneeling by my bed in prayer. And that was something that I had never really done before. I mean, never seriously done before. You know, I had prayed prayers like, God help me with this test, or God help this girl to like me, or, you know, those kind of prayers. But I had never really seriously come to God in prayer. And after those words uh, that were spoken by my pastor, they continued to resonate into my heart and into my mind so much. And I came to the realization that all I had in my life was mere religion and that I did not have a relationship with God through the resurrected Christ. And so I bowed my knees there at the end of my bed. I was roughly 15 years old. And I remember praying this prayer. And I said, God, I think all I have in my life is religion. I've been trying to be good enough for you. I think that I'm good enough. I think that I'm better than others, but I've come to realize that I'm not. And I've come to realize that there's only one who is good enough for you, and that's your very son, the resurrected Christ. And so in that moment, I moved from religion to resurrection. I moved from religion, doing what I could do for God, to resurrection, trusting in what God had already done for me. And I wonder if you have had that kind of experience this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite here in one moment a a man who's going to share a testimony with you, and he's going to share his experience with you of going from uh, religion to resurrection. But before I do that, I want to let you know where we're going. In Philippians chapter 3, what we have is a, a, a very brief biographical sketch. In fact, the man who wrote this little letter to this little church in this city called Philippi so many years ago writes in the third chapter of this little letter a brief autobiographical sketch. And what he does, what we're going to hear from his lips, is a very similar experience about how he went from trusting in religion religion to trusting in resurrection, and so we're going to hear that in just a bit. But at this time, I'd like to ask Ron Novacek to come on up, and so Ron, come on up and share with us. I'm going to get this chair out for him, if he would like it, and uh, hand him this mic, and Ron's going to share with us his story of going from religion to resurrection. Thanks, Ron.
1: Good morning i was uh raised with religion I was raised with uh, uh i went to a, a private school and i learned thoroughly what it what it took to be uh religious and what it took uh in in that religion's eyes to please god and uh i spent a good part of my life uh, with rules regulations with um with uh Things you needed to do to be right with God. Things you shouldn't do to be right with God. Um, ceremonies you had to complete to be right with God. And uh, <clears throat> later in my life, I came, uh, when I was a little older, I came uh, to work one day and we started talking about religion, me and a couple guys. And and I found uh, that one of them was a Jehovah's Witness. One of them was a Seventh-day Adventist. Roman Catholic, we uh, started talking about stuff, and and me being a Roman Catholic, I decided to defend my faith, and I did so by going home one evening and opening the Bible, something I've never done before. I dusted it off, opened it up, and started realizing something, uh, something I hadn't realized before. Uh came to a conclusion that we were all wrong that every one of us had something seriously wrong in what we believed. Um, I believe a lot of people out there call themselves certain things, Catholics and Protestants and whatever, and I believe there's saved Catholics and there's saved Protestants and there's Protestants and Catholics that aren't saved. Uh, So I'm not up here saying that you can't be saved being something with a tag you put on yourself but what I'm saying is I came to a conclusion that it had nothing to do being right with God had nothing to do with uh, practicing a religion had nothing to do with with uh, ceremonies and traditions and and, uh, doing the right things and doing the wrong things it had to do with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and and I'm here to say that uh, God used a Jehovah's Witness and a Seventh-day Adventist and some Roman Catholics and to bring me to that realization. So if uh, someone knocks on your door one day, I wouldn't be so quick to turn them away because God might be using them. <laughs> he may be using them to get you to open that Bible and look. Um, that's my story in a nutshell, and, and uh, that personal relationship uh, is what the key is. It's not any of that other stuff. Thanks.
0: Ron, thanks so much for that. So now uh, we've heard my story and we've heard uh, Ron's story. Uh, at this point, I want us to hear Paul's story. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me in the book of Philippians to chapter 3. Let's just read this together, and uh, then what we're going to do is simply see uh, what some of the characteristics of a person caught in religion are and what are the characteristics of a person who has a relationship with God through the risen Christ. So Philippians chapter 4, uh, 3, excuse me, is where we're going to begin, uh, starting uh, at the middle of verse 4 and uh, running through about verse 11. Let's just read this together. Paul says this, If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day? of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. He goes on to say, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth And participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So we have the reading from God's Word. So this morning, uh, I want to keep it simple. I want to ask you a question. What does religion look like? What does it look like when you're mired in simple religion? As I was, was, as Ron said he was, as many of you were who profess faith in Christ. Mired in religion. What does it look like? I would suggest to you that it looks like three things. Number one, it looks like religious initiation. It looks like religious heritage. And number three... It looks like religious activity. Notice what Paul says as he begins uh, in verse four. Notice how he begins this little section. He says, If someone else has if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Essentially what Paul is saying here is if anyone should have confidence before God that what they do would be good enough for him, if there were anyone in the world who could compile a spiritual resume that would be acceptable to the Father, if anyone could be confident that God would accept them on the basis of what they've done, it would be me. That's what Paul is saying. And then he goes on to list several things. Notice there was a list starting in verse 5. And he goes on to list all of these things that characterized his life before meeting the risen Christ. And he says, this is what my religion looked like. This is what I placed my confidence in when I stood before a holy God, that he would accept me. And kind of what it reminded me of is it kind of reads like a resume. And so here in my hand, if you can see this, is my resume. Don't worry, it's not updated. (laughs) This is, you know, my resume that I I sent to this church and a bunch of bunch of other churches uh, but this is the resume that I compiled uh, maybe you've done a resume before or maybe you haven't uh, but generally speaking what a resume does is puts together a list of accomplishments a resume basically puts together a list of things that you have accomplished that you hope a future employer will find attractive and will therefore find you acceptable and therefore give you a paycheck, right? That's what a resume is. Uh, and so here's my resume with several different things that I... Uh, summer Youth and Children's Minister, First Baptist Church, Agua Dulce, which means sweet water in Spanish. Uh, youth Minister, First Baptist Church, Chapel Hill, Pastor to Youth, Northway Church, uh, and it goes on and on, and you can read this if you're, you know, want some, something to help you go to bed. You can read this. Here it is. Um, but here's my resume, you know, that's what a resume is. And what Paul is putting together here is a spiritual resume. Do you see that? What Paul is putting together is a spiritual resume and he's jotting it down and he's saying, here God, here's my spiritual resume. Here's my religious resume. And I think you're going to find it attractive. And he lists three things. Number one, religion involves, uh, trusting in what I would call religious initiation. Notice the very first thing that he lists in verse 5. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day circumcised on the eighth day. Now, you may be thinking, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, Paul's a Jew. And for the Jewish people of old, uh, the boys would be circumcised on the eighth day according to God's commandment. And it served as a sort of initiation into the community. Uh, men, if they wanted to become a Jew and they were not Jewish by birth, they would become circumcised as a part of initiating themselves to the covenant people of God. Um, High high price to pay, if you ask me. Um, But this is what they did. It was a religious initiation. And what Paul says is, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day like I was supposed to. I had my religious initiation. Second, he goes on to say, not only did he have religious initiation, but he had a religious heritage. He had a religious heritage. Notice what he says, uh, continuing on in verse 5. He says, I'm of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now what Paul says is, he says, I'm of the people of Israel. That means I'm ethnically a Jew. That's what Paul says. I'm pure-blooded. I was born a Jew. Both my mommy and my daddy were Jews. And they put great stock in the fact that ethnically they were Jewish. Now, I am, if you don't know, um, you'll know now, I'm from Texas. And uh, I don't have too bad, too bit of a drawl. I don't think. Uh, at least I hope I don't. Uh, but I was born in Texas, native Texan. In fact, there is a, a bumper sticker that you'll see if you ever drive around Texas. You might see it. And it says, native Texan. I don't know if you guys have that here in Illinois. I haven't seen any native Illinoisan, you know. In Texas, we're proud of the fact that we were born In Texas, you know. Uh, In fact, there's one bumper sticker that says, um, I wasn't born here, but I moved here as quickly as I could, you know. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, the Jews were proud of their religious heritage. Not only that, but he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, The tribe of Benjamin, Israel was divided up into different tribes, kind of like states, you know. And so he says, I'm I belong to this tribe of Benjamin, which was a highly regarded tribe or nation, if you will. The first king of Israel came from Benjamin. A lot of significant characters in the Old Testament came from this tribe. It was highly regarded. And so he says, not only am I Jewish, but hey, I'm I'm a Benjaminite. I'm a Benjaminite. And then he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, which basically means that he was raised on Jewish customs and learning the Jewish language. And at that time, several Jews lived in that land, but a lot of Jews lived in other countries, and they didn't learn Hebrew. They didn't learn the native tongue. They didn't grow up with some of the traditions and customs that a Jew who was born in the promised land would. And so, essentially, what I want you to see is he saying, I trusted in my initiation, I trusted in my heritage. Third, he also trusted in his religious activity. Notice what he continues to say. A couple things. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. The law is a reference to all of the Old, Old Testament commands in the first five books of the Bible. And so he says, hey, According to all of the laws that God gave us in the first five books of the Bible, I was a Pharisee. Now you maybe have heard that term before, but a Pharisee was a small group of Jews in that day who were, let's just say, the the best of the best at rule keeping. They were the most strict, the most ardent at keeping the rules faultlessly. Notice he says at the tail end of verse six, as for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. Basically what he's saying is, I kept all the commands. I mean, not just any Jew could say this. He's saying, I kept all of the commands. And the Pharisees, not only would they attempt to keep, as Paul apparently did, all of the Old Testament commands, man, they would make up more, just for fun, I think. They would make up more. And, and not only would they have to keep the Old Testament, but they would have to keep all of the laws that they put in place. And he said, man, I did it to a T. I, I did it perfectly. Notice in verse 6, he says... As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. He basically says, I loved my religion so much that I would kill you if you disagreed with it. That's what he says. He was zealous. He was perfectly obedient, if you will. I want to summarize what religion is. Uh, If I could use one word to summarize Paul's description of a life that is characterized by religion, it would be the word performance. It would be the word performance. That's what religion amounts to. Remember, I said at the beginning, religion is what we can do for God. It's a performance. And Paul uh, essentially uh, is typing up his resume and he says, Before I met the risen Christ this was going to be good enough before God. I was going to hand God my spiritual resume and say, look God, look what I've done and accept and expect that God would accept him. And so Paul trusted in his religious initiation, his religious heritage, his religious activity. So I want to bring it home a bit for you and me. Are you trusting in religion this morning? Are you building a spiritual resume like Paul was building that you plan someday when you get there to hand before God and expect that he will accept you because of your spiritual resume? Um, Are you caught up in trusting in your religious initiation? You know, there are different ways in our culture that people are initiated into religion. One common way is by baptism, Uh, baptism as a baby. And so maybe some of you, like myself, were baptized as an infant. I was baptized as an infant and became a member of the Methodist Church in that moment. Uh, but I wasn't right with God in that moment. Paul says he was circumcised on the eighth day, but it didn't make him right with God. Uh, maybe it's, um, Maybe it's going through... Uh, something that, like catechisms or uh, things that you go through when you're 12 or 13. I did this when I was 12 or 13. It, we called it confirmation in the Methodist Church, and I became a member of the church. Uh, are you trusting in your religious initiation to be right with God? What about your religious heritage? I have a wonderful religious heritage. I grew up going to church. I think I went to church almost every day since I was born. My mom and dad were ardent churchgoers. But that didn't make me right with God. My parents did eventually have a strong faith. Um, Maybe you're trusting in those things. Maybe, as Ron mentioned, maybe it's your... a denomination. Maybe you're trusting in the Catholic Church to make you right with God, or the Lutheran Church, or the Methodist Church, or the Baptist Church, and we can go on and on and on, or the Bible Church to make you right with God. Just because you associate with that some kind of religious heritage, and you think that because you have that, as Paul had a religious heritage, that God's going to accept you someday. Maybe it's your religious activity. You attend church regularly, as I do. Maybe you give financially to the church. Maybe you were like me growing up as a teenager and I thought, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I'm not murdering people, I'm not stealing things, I'm not raping anyone, I'm not doing the biggies, you know what I mean? I'm not doing the big sins, I'm better than the average Joe, and I thought when I stood before God that he would kind of have the scale, and he would measure the good things that I've done, and the bad things that I've done, and I, I was very confident that in that day my good would outweigh my bad. Are you trusting in your religious activity to be good? To be accepted by God? Because Paul was mired in religion. He was mired in religion until one day something dramatically changed his life. Maybe you know this story. It's told in the book of Acts. Paul, remember, zealous for his Judaism, was going to persecute more Christians. They claimed that this Messiah, this Jesus, who had been crucified had indeed risen from the dead, and that forgiveness of sins and eternal life and rebirth was being preached in his name, and he didn't like that in the least. And so he was on his way to persecute these Christians, and lo and behold, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to him in great light, blinds him, and Jesus is basically like, what are you doing, man? Look, I'm the Messiah. I I'm resurrected. This is Trey's paraphrase. And he basically said, yes, I see that. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to believe in you. And so he became a Christian just like that. And he turned from his religion and he turned to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul did in that moment is he encountered someone who had a better resume than him he encountered someone who had a far superior resume before the Father. And so he saw Jesus, and he looked at his resume, all of the things that he was counting in, and he's like, that's no no good. (laughs) Jesus' resume, the perfect, spotless Son of God, perfect in motive, perfect in speech, perfect in action, always doing what is right, never doing what is wrong. That's a pretty good resume. And he said... That's the only resume God's going to accept. I'm going to take that one. And Paul turned from religion to resurrection. And so let's look now in verses 7 through 11, and we're going to find out a couple characteristics of a person who has moved from religion to resurrection. And as we're looking at these, I want to ask you, which camp are you in? Are you trusting in religion like Paul was, or are you trusting in resurrection Do these two things characterize your spiritual life in verses 7 through 11? Let's first read verses 7 through 9. Paul now is going to describe his life after meeting the resurrected Christ, after encountering him, and he gives a couple characteristics. Number one, verses 7 through 9. He says, But whatever were gains to me, referring to all of those things he was trusting in but whatever were gains to me I now consider loss it's flipped flopped for the sake of Christ what is more I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my lord for whom for whose sake I've lost all things notice this I consider them garbage I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness, not having a righteousness that's of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so the first thing Quite simply, I want us to see is that the person who's moved from resurrection, from religion to resurrection, number one, they trust in the person of Christ. Very simply, a person who has a resurrection life trusts in the person of Christ. Basically, what Paul says is, all of those things that I trusted in, my religious initiation, my religious heritage, my religious activity, all of those things, they were, I thought, on the profit side of the scale. They were, I thought, to my advantage. I thought they were helpful. I thought God would be pleased with them. And he says, but all of those things that I considered to be my gain actually worked to my disadvantage. He says, those things that I trusted in, that I thought God would like, God didn't like. They were to my disadvantage. In fact, he uses this this word. It's translated rubbish in our translation. Uh, it's only used once in the New Testament. And so when you read other Greek documents outside of the New Testament, you find out that this is a very strong, strong word. In fact, his hearers might have read this and said, "Oh, Paul said rubbish. It's a strong word and it refers to one, dung or feces, or number two, it refers to rotten food that you would throw away to the dogs. And so basically what Paul says is, All of those things in my religion that I thought were to my advantage actually were to my loss. I thought God would be pleased with him. He was not because I wasn't trusting in Christ. And he actually calls all of those things foul-smelling stuff. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. I'll admit it—that it's maybe happened once or twice in our household—that you go through and you're looking for the ketchup. You know, you open the fridge and you're looking for the mayonnaise, you're looking for the milk, or whatever it is that you're looking for, and you you come across something and it's in a it's in a you know uh, what are those things called that you keep food in? Yeah, Tupperware. Thanks. You can tell I'm not kitchen. What is it, what's that called, honey? I don't know. <laughs> Tupperware. Yeah. You you come across a, an old Tupperware and you're like, what's that? you know you're like what is that when did we eat that and you you, you do this you're like Psh, and it's like oh have you ever had that before you're like i don't know what that is but i don't want to know uh and so my, my this happens to my wife she's the cleaner outer of the of our fridge and so she does this and she'll kind of go on a a, a, a spree and she'll get all of the old things and be like Psh, oh here Oh, here. And she'll give them to me. And she says, throw them in the trash. And so I throw them in the trash. But it's not good enough just to throw them in the trash. The the smell is so repulsive that she's like, take it to the garbage outside, right? Because we don't, not only do we not want it in our kitchen, we don't want it in our garage. Take it outside. It's so rank. This is the word that Paul describes his religious initiation his religious heritage, his religious activity, his performance. He says, before the nostrils of God, it smells like that. That's what he says. And so the first characteristic of a person who goes from religion to resurrection is that They trust in the person of Christ. He says, I used to trust in those things that's foul and odorous. And now, notice with me again, verses 8 and 9. Notice what he is now trusting in. Notice what he is now putting on his resume, if you will. He says in verse 9 that I may be found in him, that is Christ, that I may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, skipping ahead, but a righteousness that is of God, that's on the basis of faith. And so Paul says all of that stuff is foul-smelling and now I come to understand that I trust in what Christ has done on the basis of faith. My standing before God is not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done faith in christ faith essentially is the opposite of performance we described religion as performance faith is the opposite of the performance faith is i will accept another thing or another person to do that which i cannot do i'm placing my faith in that and so what paul says is man this resume that i had i'm gonna i'm gonna wad it up and throw it away in christ may i please take your resume May I please take your perfection, your righteousness, may I please take it, and then I'll consider this my resume. That's what Paul is saying by faith. Uh, another way, simple way, I think, to illustrate faith is, is, is this. A couple weeks ago, I was at, I'm very tempted to sit on this little bench, although I'm not going to, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was at a conference. I don't know if you've ever been to the McCormick Place downtown Chicago, ever been to the McCormick Place, okay like one person. Thank you for responding. Appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's a magnificent building. It's, I don't know how many stories, at least four stories, stairs, elevators. It's huge. And I was at this pastor's conference down there, and I noticed something uh, that I guess kind of struck me as I was chewing on this. And that is, Whenever you would come to uh, a set of stairs, there would always be an escalator right next to it, right? And so there would would be masses of people making their way up to whatever meeting room we were meeting at, and they had the option. You could take the stairs up, right, one level to get to the top, or you could take the escalator. Now, let me just offer, hear your opinion on this. Which do you think most people took, the stairs or the escalator? Escalator. Which would you take, stairs or escalator? Okay, you know what? I took the escalators too, except for one day when I felt really fat, and so I was like, I'm gonna run up these things because <laughs> I hadn't exercised. So, um, but most, and, and that's what most people did. They took the escalator, and, and it's funny because when it comes to like physical work, we're like, work to get up there, or trust in this elevator to get up there, and not have to work. That sounds good. I'm going to do that. And we do that in the physical realm. But you know what? It struck me when I was at that conference. In the spiritual realm, it's totally opposite. In the spiritual realm, it's totally opposite. Because what we want to do is we want to take the stairs. We want to trust in our religion. We want to go... Here's some stairs. God, you're up there in heaven. I'm going to do it on my own. No, God, I don't need your help. Thank you. Thank you for providing this escalator. It's nice and it's trustworthy. It's going to get up there, I'm pretty sure, but I'm just going to do it by myself. And that's what we do with religion. And Paul says faith is kind of like taking the escalator up. It's saying, and it's not a perfect illustration, it's saying I can try to take those stairs, but you know what? The stairs of religion... Are always ongoing. Because in regular stairs, you always reach to the top, right? But according to this illustration, when you take the stairs of religion, there's no top. (laughs) You can't get high enough to get to God. You just walk and you walk and you walk and you never get there. But when you take a step of faith, when you get on an escalator, you're trusting in it, right? You're saying, I believe it's going to get me there, not on my merit, but according to its power. And I'm going to step on the escalator and it takes you. Up, 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 up to the top level to God Himself. And what Paul is saying is this He's saying, number one, a person who has resurrection life trusts in the person of Christ. And so let me ask you this this morning. I'm so grateful for you to be here. Let me ask you this Do you trust in Christ? Or are you taking the stairs? What are you doing? Number two, a person who's moved from religion to resurrection not only trusts in the person of Christ, but they pursue the person of Christ. They pursue the person of Christ, and that is they don't just see him as a get-in-free card to heaven, right? It's not just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Click, I'm in, uh, and that's it. No, it's a relationship that you enter into with a real resurrected person named Jesus, who's alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father. We enter into this relationship with him, and we not only trust in him, but we love him. We want to pursue him. Notice what Paul says. Let's read it again in verses 10 through 11. Notice what Paul is saying. I want to know Christ. Can you see it dripping from his lips? Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate even in his sufferings. It's amazing, Paul says, if I have to suffer to know Christ better, bring it on. Wow, I want to be like that. Um, He goes on to say, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So very, very shortly, Paul says, I want to know Christ. This word in Greek, the the word know, there are two words in Greek. One word means like to know knowledge, like you know about something factually, and another is the experiential word, which means to know something by first-hand encounter, by touch and smell and taste and conversation and those kind of things. Paul uses the second word here, and so what he's not saying is, I really just want to know more about Jesus uh, educationally, although he does, He's saying, I want to know this person. Like, like you know your wife or your best friend or your, or your kid. You want to interact with this person of Christ. You want to know them. And so once again, I was at this conference that I went to. And in, in the Christian world, there are a lot of superstar pastors. And they had uh, preachers, uh, theologians, teachers. And uh, several of them were there. John Piper was there, if you're familiar with him. Uh, Matt Chandler from down in Dallas. Uh, was there and numerous other other big-name kind of guys and so it was interesting We would just be walking to and from sessions and uh, two or three times I walked by these guys and it's such like a oh, I'm like a teenage girl. Sorry if you're a teenage girl, uh, but I was like Piper, You know, can I have your autograph? No, I can't ask that <laughs> um, It was just like a little girl, you know um, falling at the feet of these wise men um, and here's the deal like, I, some of these guys, like John Piper, these guys that I mentioned, I know a lot about them. Like, I've read their books. Um, I read their blogs sometimes. If you don't know what a blog is, ask me afterwards. Um, I read their blogs. Um, I know about, I know a lot about them. I know about Matt Chandler's brain cancer. He has brain cancer. I know all about that. I know him in one sense of the word. But that's not the sense of the word Paul's saying. Because the kind of sense of the word that Paul means is, I know Matt Chandler. I sat down in his house and had dinner with him. I prayed over him. We email back and forth. I personally know him. And that's what Paul says. I I want to know the person of Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, is there a longing in your heart, not just to know about Jesus, but to know him? I mean, is there something in you that says, yes, oh, I, I want I want him. I want to know him, whatever it takes. I want to pursue knowing this person who I trust in. Is is that true of you? Because if not, it may be that you just have religion. Because religion is not about a person, it's about a performance. It's about a performance. So, we've seen a couple things. We've seen the difference between religion and resurrection. Religion Trust in initiation, heritage, activity, resurrection. Trust in the person of Christ. Pursues the person of Christ. And if you're a Christian this morning, you have been born again. You're in the resurrection camp and you know it. And praise God. But I want to challenge you as I've been challenged with this. Have you lost your love for him? Do you want to know him? I mean, these words in the book of Philippians just challenged me so much, because Paul's central pursuit and satisfaction was this person of Christ. I'm like, man, I'm so not like that sometimes, and I want to be. So, what about you? Do you want to be Christian? I hope so. In closing, I want to close with the words of a pretty well-known author, ancient author, 19th century author by the name of John Bunyan. Uh, John Bunyan was a Puritan preacher, but you probably don't know him for a Uh, for his sermons. You probably know him from the book Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Wonderful little book if you've never read it before. He says these words, John Bunyan says this, and he's talking about the difference between what we're talking about, religion and resurrection. He's talking about the difference between religion, which he calls law, keeping commandments to be good enough for God, and resurrection, which he uh, sums up with the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died and was buried, uh, died for our sins and was buried and was resurrected and appeared to many people. He makes this contrast between religion and resurrection. And I want to close uh, with these words and we'll move on to a couple other things. He says this, Run, John, run. Run, John, run. The law commands but gives neither, neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the truth from your word. Father, I pray now as we contemplate briefly our hearts and our own lives and as we consider whether we are a part of religion or resurrection, Father, I pray that you would do this work in our hearts and lives. Father, I pray for those of us who are in the religion camp that, they, that we would repent and turn from our self-righteousness, from our resume that we think is good enough and that, Father, we would encounter the resurrected Christ whose resume is far superior than ours. It's perfect. It's the only way to be right with God. It's the only way to heaven. It's the only way to joy and satisfaction and new life. And so, Father, for those in this room right now who hear my voice, I pray that they would do that. With every eye closed and every uh, head bowed, I want to ask you this morning, if you're in the camp of religion, if you know that you don't trust in Christ, that you're not wanting to pursue Christ, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Uh, And I want to help you to express faith in Christ and the person of Jesus, like Paul did, like I have, like Ron has. I want to help you to do that. These aren't magical words. It's not a formula. The Bible says if you call upon him out of, the, out of your heart that you'll be saved. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you'll be saved. So I want to I lead you in that. And so if, if you know that that's you and there's an ache in your gut that says, oh, he's talking to me, then would you pray with me this prayer in your heart, in your mind, believing, trusting in Christ, would you pray this way? Dear God, I confess to you that I am not perfect. I confess to you that I trust in my own righteousness. I confess to you that I'm building a resume for you and that it's not acceptable. I want to believe in Jesus Christ, in his resume. I want it to be my own resume. I don't want my righteousness, but his righteousness. And so the best that I can, I want to take the escalator of faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done Would you Help me to do that. Thank you for saving me. If you've done that, I really encourage you to talk with me, find me, find someone, and let them know the decision you've made. Father, thank you for the time. Pray for the rest of our service that it would be honoring to Christ in his name. Amen.
2: I saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story most strange. Like nothing, my life my street sense, my sly tongue had ever prepared me for. Hush, child, hush now, and I will tell it to you. Even before the dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of our city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new, and he was calling in a clear, tenor voice. Now this is a wonder, I thought to myself, for the man stood very tall, and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than this? To be a ragman in the inner city? I followed him. My curiosity drove me, and I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into a handkerchief, sighing and shedding a thousand tears. Her shoulders shook. Her heart was breaking. The ragman stopped his cart. Quietly, he walked to the woman, stepping around tin cans and dead toys. He said so gently. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes, and she looked up and laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined. She blinked from the gift to the giver. Then, as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He began to weep, to sob as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking, yet she was left without a tear. This is a wonder, I breathed to myself, and I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who could not turn away from mystery. In a little while, when the sky showed gray behind the rooftops and I could see the shredded curtains hanging out black windows, the ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty. Blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the ragman looked upon this child with pity, and he drew a lovely hat from his cart. He said, The child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage, removed it, and tied it to his own head. The hat he set on hers, and I gasped at what I saw, for the bandage went the wound. Against his brow it ran a darker, more substantial blood, his own cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky now and my eyes. The ragman seemed more and more to hurry. Are you going to work? He asked a man who leaned against a telephone pole. The man shook his head. The ragman pressed him. Do you have a job? Are you crazy? Sneered the other. He pulled away from the pole, revealing the right sleeve of his coat, flat, the cuff stuffed into the pocket. He had no arm, said the ragman. Such quiet authority in his voice, the one armed man took off his coat, and I trembled at what I saw. For now, when the man took off the coat, he had two good arms, but the ragman had only one. he said. After that, he found a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket, an old man hunched, wizened and sick. He took that blanket and wrapped it around himself. But for the drunk, he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the rag man. Though he was weeping and bleeding freely at the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling from drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old and sick, yet he went with terrible speed through the alleys of the city, this mile and the next, until he came to the limits, and then he rushed beyond. I wept to see the change in this man, I hurt to see his sorrow, and yet... I needed to see where he was going in such haste, perhaps to know what drove him so. The little old rag man. He came to a landfill. He came to the garbage pits. And then I wanted to help him in. What he did, but I hung back, hiding. He climbed a hill. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on that hill. He sighed and he laid down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a coat, and he covered his bones with an army blanket, and he died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I slumped in a junked car and wailed and mourned as one with, with no hope, because I had come to love the ragman. Every other face had faded in the wonder of this man, and I cherished him. But he died. I sobbed myself to sleep. I did not know. How could I know? That I slept through Friday night and Saturday night? But then on Sunday morning, I was wakened by violence. Light, pure, hard, demanding light, slammed against my sour face. And I blinked, and I looked, and I saw the last and first wonder of all. There was the rag man, folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive, and besides that, healthy. There was no sign of sorrow, nor of age, and all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. Well, Then I lowered my head, and, trembling for all that I had seen, I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name with shame, for I was a sorry figure next to him. And then I gave him my dirty rags in that place, and I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, Cover me. And the Lord covered me. The Lord covered me in new rags, and I am a wonder beside him. The rag man, the rag man, the Christ.
0: Would you guys stand and sing?